church, we are um, back in a series that we have been um, on hiatus from for quite a while. We are back in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. And uh, we were talking about, uh, before we started recording, that um, this is part 54 of the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm here with John. Uh, how's it going, John? Doing well. How oh, are you doing? I'm good. How was your Easter? It was better than expected. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, mine was too. I, it's it's a weird, weird season that we are in. Um, and uh, it, was a, it was a better Easter than I think our whole family expected it to be. Um, we are, uh, yeah, like I said, we're talking through uh, Matthew 15, 29 through 39 this morning. Um, and uh, just kind of as a recap, um, Matthew's gospel is the, the first gospel in our New Testament. Uh, Matthew's writing to a primarily Jewish audience. Um, the Jewish people are, are people that have this relationship with Yahweh, that they expect um, God to love them and care for them. And, um, and I think... Uh, by way of reminder, I think this is really important to remember that Matthew is doing something with this book. I think we have a tendency to think about the Bible as the book that God wrote. And in a sense, that's true, right? We believe that the Bible is inspired by the Spirit of God, that it was written um, as, as God moved the authors. But it is written by human authors, and they have a purpose when they write their their books, their letters, their, their gospels, just like any human author today would have a purpose in writing a book. And Matthew's got a purpose. Uh, it's more than just a collection of random Jesus stories. And that's going to feature into um, the section of scripture that we're going to talk about today. But um, I was just wondering if you would just kind of give us a reminder as, as to where we've been so far in the Gospel of Matthew. Yeah, so it's been a while, as you were saying. <laughs> but just as a recap, like Zach was talking about, we want to think of Matthew as trying to make a point. And ultimately what Matthew's trying to do is show that Jesus is the coming Messiah that's promised in the Old Testament. And so with that, he starts out with a genealogy to show that Jesus comes from the line of David, the promised lineage from the Old Testament. And so now that he's established that, then he can go into the beginning of Jesus starting to lay out what the kingdom of heaven is. And so we see this in chapter five when he talks about the Beatitudes and what the kingdom is like. So then he's laying out what that's like, and then he'll move into demonstrating more of what the kingdom is like. Like in chapter eight, when he moves towards the healings and power over different things as far as nature and demonic forces and the feeding of the 5,000, which is kind of where we left off last time. Um, but now, as we kind of make this corner, and head into the end of chapter 15 and the rest of the chapters, it's really ramping up. Matthew's getting to the point where people are going to have to make a decision. So the Jews at this point have kind of identified, okay, something's going on here. Uh, he is the promised Messiah. He's not, not sure what to think. And now he's kind of 
Jesus has moved out into the Gentile region. And so he's going to start introducing what the kingdom is like to the people that are the Gentiles. So we're just starting into that portion now. Yeah, that's right. Um, Matthew is, um, is making a very strong case to his Jewish audience that this Jesus of Nazareth character, this, uh, this man, this carpenter who grew up um, a few years before this was written and has this story that Matthew's a part of, He's tr- making the case that this man is the coming king of Israel, the, the promised hope, the Messiah, um, that all of the people of God were looking for. Uh, and uh, last time we were in Matthew, I think you taught uh, the previous section, and, and we looked at this, this section where Jesus goes out to the uh, area of Tyre and Sidon. This is an area outside of uh, Israelite territory, and he meets this woman uh, whose daughter is uh, tormented by a demon. Uh, and she's a, not a Jewish woman, and she, she begs Jesus to help her, and Jesus basically brushes her off and says, no, I'm here to, um, I've, I've come to save the Jewish people, and, and she uh, kind of doesn't take no for an answer, and she pushes back a little bit, and he just marvels at her faith, and he heals her daughter. Um, and this is like the, the prelude to the next section, which we're going to read in just a second. Um, but Matthew is weaving these stories together to make a point. So let's read Matthew 15, 29 through 39, and then, then we'll pray and kind of dig into this a little bit. So Matthew writes, Moving on from there, Tyre and Sidon, his interaction with this woman, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He went up on a mountain and sat there, and large crowds came to him, including the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, and many others. They put them at his feet, and he healed them. And so the crowd was amazed when they saw those unable to speak talking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they gave glory to the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, otherwise they might collapse on the way. The disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in this desolate place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked them. Seven, they said, and a few small fish. After commanding the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, gave thanks broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. They collected the leftover pieces, seven large baskets full. Now there were 4,000 men who had eaten besides women and children. After dismissing the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. God, thank you for today. Thank you for a chance to um, open your word. Um, God, thank you that we have um, these accounts of your life and your ministry, that your, uh, your followers decided to write down uh, this history of, of their time with you. God, Matthew was there. He writes down these things as an eyewitness, and uh, we are privileged to have them recorded, uh, inspired by you to, to lead us, to guide us, to teach us about who Jesus is. I just pray that as we uh, work through this passage a little bit over the next few minutes, that you would just um, speak to all of us uh, who are uh, uh, reading this this morning, 
and, and that we would be encouraged, that we would be uh, exhorted and uh, pushed more towards uh, obedience uh, to the good news of Jesus. That's in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, a couple nights ago, I think it was last week, um, I was out uh, doing something. I don't know. I've been, I've been busier in the evenings lately <laughs> than I normally am. And so I was at home. And so um, Joanna called the girls to the dinner table and sat them down and served them dinner. And what she served them uh, was ice cream. And my children just lost their minds. For dinner? For dinner. Okay. Yeah, because right. obviously, I mean, this is, this is very strange in, yeah. my, in my home. That Sounds would, wonderful. It was, yeah, they loved it. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, dad's not home, we're, it's a special night. I was kind of bummed that I missed it, but um, so, so they, they were just thrilled by this. And, and I came home right before bedtime and they're like, daddy, daddy, guess what? We got ice cream for dinner. And, uh, and so they were just, they just loved it. Um, but you know, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a special occasion. I was out of the house, whatever. So the next night I'm at home and um, it's just a normal night. And, and what Joanna does is, is she gathers us all together for dinner but then she feeds our children ice cream again. And their heads exploded. <laughs> because why do we get ice cream two nights in a row? Like, yeah. I don't understand what's going on here. It was a special occasion last time and dad wasn't yeah. home, but dad's home, this is a normal night and I don't, I don't get it. And so they've been thoroughly, um, now it's like, could we have ice cream again? And like, no, you can't, no, <laughs> you can't. Not. we're not gonna do it a third time. But the funny thing was I, was, I was talking to Karis about this, and like it just didn't cross her mind the second night that there would be an opportunity to have ice cream for dinner again, because she just didn't have a framework for that. There was, it, it wasn't just like, well, we got ice cream last night, maybe we could get ice cream this yeah. night. You know, like there was just no conceptualizing that for her, and it was just such a surprise. And I tell that story because what's happening here, specifically with the disciples, is very odd. Because if we just turn back one page in the Gospel of Matthew to chapter 14, we see this story that the heading in my Bible is the feeding of the 5,000. And this story, almost beat for beat, is identical to the story we're reading this morning, except some of the numbers are changed. There's 4,000 people instead of 5,000 people. Um, there's seven loaves instead of five loaves. Um, there's seven leftover baskets instead of 12 oh, leftover okay. ba baskets. They're in a different area in uh, Israel. And so you read this and you go like, what is the deal with these, uh, these disciples? Because how can they be so clueless to be like, I don't know, Jesus, how are we going to feed these people when they just saw Jesus feed a whole bunch of people? And I think, I think figuring that out is kind of the key to this story because Matthew's not dumb. He's not just randomly writing stuff down. He's got a point to this. 
And I think he's got a point for putting these stories back to back. So we read in verse 29 that, that Jesus moves on from this interaction with this woman where he marvels at her faith. And he goes up along the Sea of Galilee. We, we read in the same story in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, that they're on the eastern side of the lake. So this is outside uh, Israelite territory. This is in an area called the Decapolis, the Ten Cities. This would have been Gentile, non-Jewish people. And, and he, he heals them, and, and he does what he normally does. These people show up, they, they, they hear that he's coming, and they, they show up, and, and he teaches them, and he heals them, and it's miraculous. And then at the end of verse 31, Matthew writes that they gave glory to the God of Israel. And I think that's important because if these were Jewish people, Matthew would have just said, and they gave glory to God. No. But... I think he's, he's giving us a clue that these are Gentile people. These are non-Jewish people. And so they, they receive all of these healings and this teaching from Jesus. And then in verse 32, uh, Jesus calls to his disciples and he says, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. Um, and I want to camp on this for just a minute because there's a real tendency, I think, in my own heart to disregard the needs of people that have put themselves in negative situations. Mm. Um, you know, if you've... Kind of their own fault. Yeah, it's your own fault that yeah, you've fill in the blank. You've yeah. lost your job or you've, what, uh, you, you can't pay your bills or you, you spent your money foolishly or like whatever. Yeah. The, and, and my mind immediately goes to like, well... Tough. And so sorry. Yeah. I mean, not my problem, right? But Jesus, these people show up and they hang out with Jesus for three days, which I think they must have had food with them when they came. But now three days are over and they've run out of food. And that's not Jesus' fault. Like, yeah. either poor planning on their part or, you know, he's just doing his thing and. Um, Probably pretty amazed by what he was doing. Yeah, so and, and just, like, hey, you know, yeah. go home, you guys. If you're out of food, whatever, you know. But Jesus doesn't respond that way. He has compassion on them. He loves these people and cares about these people. He can't be blamed for their need. He can't, you know, like, Jesus, if you hadn't talked so much, we, you know, like, that's not, that doesn't go through his mind. It's just like these people are in a, in a negative situation. And it, it doesn't really matter to Jesus how they got there or what the circumstances are. He just loves them and cares for them and wants to serve them. And, and I feel like that's something that I need to internalize more, is that before I try to figure out, like, well, why are you in the situation you're in? Like, what did you do to screw your life up? And, and how can I, um, how can I sh make sure that I'm not, that I have no responsibility towards this? My, my first inclination should just be to have compassion on people. Yeah, because it's easy to separate yourself if you're able to say, oh, well, that's your own fault. So therefore, I don't have any, like you said, responsibility. I'm not inclined to do anything for you. I don't have to. Yeah. And I don't think, like, Jesus didn't have to, right? Like, he, he, he didn't bear responsibility for them, but he chose to pursue them anyway. He, he kind of pushes it back to the disciples and says, you know, I don't want to send them away hungry. And, and they, 
very naturally respond. Where, where, where are we going to get enough bread to feed them all? And if they hadn't just been through this same exact set of circumstances just a little bit earlier, we totally would understand that. Like, yeah, like, what are you talking about, Jesus? There's no way to get a bunch of food to all these people. But they had just seen him do this very thing. And I think that's the key to this story because the disciples had just seen Jesus heal a Jewish crowd and then feed thousands of Jewish people. And they have connected this to uh, stories in their Bible from the prophets about how the Messiah would come and he would bring healing and he would bring salvation and he would, you know, the, the lame would walk and the blind would see and the deaf would hear and, and, um, the, at the, um, you know, the, the banquet of the Messiah would be this great feast, right? That totally makes sense. But they, they just don't think it can happen to a Gentile crowd, a non-Jewish crowd. And it's not like they, it doesn't seem to be that they're like, well, Jesus, you wouldn't do this to non-Jewish people. It's like they just don't even register the possibility. You know, like my daughters and their second day of ice cream for dinner. It just didn't cross their mind that this is even a possibility. That's a really deeply held prejudice. It's not, it's not, a, not a surface level one. They don't even bring it up. They don't even go like, well, we don't like Gentiles. We don't want to do that. They just, they can't even put the pieces together to think that Jesus would even remotely be interested in feeding these people. So you want to take it outside of the box a little bit? I mean, just thinking about, talking about that, and just in our own context, the idea of how little we'll take to God in prayer because of that same idea. Like it just doesn't register in our mm. brain that Jesus could do this in this situation or God could do X in our life, whatever that is. And so I think we can definitely see ourselves in the disciples just looking at it and going, yeah, it's easy to just be like, no, that po can't possibly happen. Even though, like you said, they saw it just- They've already recently. seen it happen. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it's there. Yeah. They've seen the evidence, but- Yeah, yeah, still. I think you're right. Because we can take that and, and make it about other people. So God cares about fill in the blank people and God doesn't care about fill in the blank people. And we can have that kind of framework. And, and you, you know, put whoever you want into that, people uh, who live in other countries, uh, refugees, your political adversaries, the homeless, um, people outside your social sphere. We know the holy Christian answer is that God loves everybody and God cares for everybody. But what you can couch that in like, God loves everybody, but only after they've changed, you know? And so if people haven't um, reached a point to where we've decided, well, you're good enough for God to love you, and of course we would never say it that way, um, then we just yeah. don't think that God cares about those people. Um, but Jesus' compassion is not dependent on their actions. Like, they haven't, like, become his followers at this point. It's this large crowd of people who, I mean, they're acknowledging the power of God, yeah. um, but that's a pretty low bar <laughs> at this point. Um, and yet he's loving them, and so we can... We can just not have any framework for saying, well, Jesus is pursuing this person. But then, like you said, we can also have that framework with reference to ourselves. God helps other people, and I see him working in other people's lives, and obviously he would do this thing for this person over here. 
but he's not going to help me. He's not going to answer my prayer. He's not going to show himself strong in my life. And it can be as simple of just, just the framework, the context, the culture, whatever we're tied into definitely influences that to a larger degree. And so we take that and apply it over Jesus and say that, oh, it only works in this way. Yeah, and, and they just don't have a category for it. And I, and I don't, it doesn't seem, I mean, they're not hostile against the work of Christ. They're not hostile against the Gentiles. They just don't, they just don't comprehend it until after it's happened. And, and like, I just, I totally see myself in this. I mean, I've, I've, been, in, I've been in situations where like you, you meet somebody um, maybe I shouldn't say you because I don't know what you, you probably don't. <laughs> you're probably way holier than I am. I meet somebody and I size them up immediately based on you know whatever what they look like, what they're wearing, how you know how their how their hair is styled. I don't you know whatever. And then I just assume something about them. And then you get to know them and like, wow, this is a really thoughtful person who has a really deep relationship with Christ. And I've completely judged them inappropriately. Yeah just based on appearance. And, I, and it's not because like I am actively against them, it's just I don't have, I don't have a category for this type of person being loved by God. Yeah. Which is side of that category, because we easily categorize things. I mean, it's just human nature, that's what we yeah. do. And so we put everything in these neat categories. And so whenever it's outside of that, it's definitely a surprise. Yeah, and, and Jesus is constantly moving towards people that are outside of um, the expected categories. I mean, he, he does this in the previous story, which um, involves a single Gentile woman, um, he, and he does it over and over again. He, he deals with Samaritans who are kind of like half-Jewish um, outcasts, and yeah. he, he does it with... Um, you know, lepers who are, are, are outcast for health reasons. And, and just over and over and over again, he is moving towards people that the common Jewish person would just, just disregard. Yeah. And it's often unexpected and it's without precondition because Jesus is, is showing us the character of God that is full of grace, like this unmerited favor and love. And he's He's constantly moving towards people that don't deserve it, that, that have done nothing to earn it, and who have nothing that they can give back in return. I personally feel like that's some of the draw for myself personally to Jesus, just the idea that he's able to take something and just flip it upside down and blow it out of that neat category that we like to put it in. And so I think there's an a neat draw to that. Because I find in myself, when I go outside of that and show love to people that I wouldn't normally, in a normal context, love or demonstrate love toward, and I can feel God working in those situations. And so I enjoy stepping into that as I do it more and more over time. It's this ongoing learning process. I, I can agree with you in that, that like that's one of the most compelling things about Jesus. And yet it's also one of the scariest things about Jesus. Most definitely. That, that like I, I want more of that in my life, yeah. but it's also incredibly uncomfortable yeah. to be in that place. 
Because it's just not, I mean, it's not what we do. We, no. we naturally, and we've talked about it with regard to the church before, that we, we naturally want to get together with people that are like us, that share the same hobbies and are in the same life stage and have the same, you know, socionomic whatever, when we are, when we either choose or are forced to interact with people that are outside of that in whatever category, it's just immediately uncomfortable. I think it's a really good check for us. Jesus is always doing something unexpected. He's always doing something that, that is throwing his followers a little bit off guard. And I feel like if, if Jesus isn't constantly surprising me, I'm not paying attention. Like if I can, if I can read the Bible and just be like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Like I don't, I don't have it right. And if I can walk through my life and say I'm a follower of Jesus and everything just seems normal, then I feel like I'm missing it somehow. Like I, sh I should be waking up, maybe not every day, but at least occasionally and going like, this is the craziest thing ever. Um, and the way that I am responding or the way I'm being called to respond based on who my Lord and Savior is, is way outside of my comfort zone, way outside of the box, um, is, is a challenge for me relationally or financially or uh, in some other area that I have to go like, wow, I don't know if I can do this because this is crazy. Yeah. I think you end up having to change your perspective in a lot of those situations. It can be challenging and it can be something that we can step into consistently over and over again because it's not a one and done. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you don't just read through the Bible once and be like, I got it, no problem. I can do this. No, it's, it's definitely a lot more than that. And I think there's great beauty in that, just mm -hmm. being able to see that play out. The disciples are, are clueless, right? And, and that's, you know, we can make fun of them for being clueless or we can recognize that we are them. And they're like, we don't, there's no way we can get, have enough bread for everyone. And Jesus just asked the question, how many loaves do you have? Uh, and they say seven, which is a little more than they had last time and a few small fish. Uh, and then Jesus gets everybody to sit on the ground and he takes the seven loaves and the fish and he gives thanks and he, uh, he breaks them apart and he gives them to the disciples and the disciples give them to the crowds. And um, there's a few things, I mean, I'm sure there's t we could mine this for hours, but it strikes me that the miracle that is done here is very small. And that, I mean, it's a huge deal. Like, I mean, he takes a few pieces of bread and feeds 4,000 people with it. But you could imagine a scenario where he just like snaps his fingers and like there's just mountains of bread all of a sudden. Yeah. But he doesn't do that. He, he just does all of these little things one at a time. He, he breaks the bread and passes it out and he breaks it again and he breaks it again. And it's miracle after miracle after miracle. And the effect is, is that, you know, whatever, 12,000 people, depending on how you calculate the women and the children, are fed. And yet it's this very, this very subtle thing. And I wonder how many times we miss the miraculous because it's, it's subtle. I can look back on a situation and be like, wow, look at what God did. It was big and it was huge and it was amazing. But in the middle of it, like I don't see it as a big deal yeah. because yeah, Jesus just broke that piece of bread in half and handed it to somebody. 
but then he did it again, and then he did it again, and then he did it again. And I, I mean, to not to like constantly tie everything back to um, COVID nineteen, <laughs> but it's where we it are. Kind right? of, yeah, yeah. It's our life right now. Yeah, but like every day is like this little thing, you know. Like you, this, we're establishing these routines for many of us that are just very, um, very minor and minuscule, and we're developing habits that are very small and they, and they seem kind of pointless and, um, or, or uh, ineffectual or whatever. And, and I just wonder like when we're on the other side of this, will we be able to look back and go like, wow, look at what God did. Yeah. But in the middle of it, it just doesn't feel that way because it seems like God is working, but we're not really sure what he's doing right now. Jesus gives the bread and the fish to the disciples to hand out and, and he, um, this is the beautiful thing about following Christ is that he's inviting us into the work yeah. of the mission that he's on. Um, and, you know, you, you, you wonder sometimes, like, you know, there's, there's plenty of people that, that don't believe the gospel. There are plenty of, you know, um, non-Christian people in the world. And, and wouldn't it just be really easy for God to just show up and, like, you know, as a giant floating head in space or something and just say, hey, this is who I am. Believe in me. And, you know, I might freak out more people. Yeah, than probably. I mean. <laughs> but like, because once again, it's outside of that box. Yeah. But he doesn't do that. He says, hey, you guys, I want you yeah. to go tell everybody, you know, how awesome I am. And one by one by one by one, people will be added to my kingdom. And on the one hand, that sounds terribly inefficient, <laughs> but it's such a privilege to be asked to do that. Like, whereas Jesus could have, again, just said, you know, Zamo and, and 4,000 meals just showed up, but he just does it one at a time and he gives it to the disciples and they pass it out and they get to participate in this experience. So it was definitely as much for the disciples as it was for the people that were there. Right. All of the things that I think I am doing for God, for the benefit of others, is at least as much for me <laughs> as it is for others, right? We're called to live out this Christian life, and we might find times where it feels pretty mundane and not all that exciting and whatever, but... Like you've said earlier, we don't know what the impact will be on ourselves. And then also just us living that life out in front of people mm -hmm. and what that impact will have on people. And we use our lives to point to Jesus. And hopefully through that process, we do point people in that direction. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, there are people that are saved because of what we're doing and his strength as well. What I want us to find ourselves in the midst of is, is a situation where we respond to the crazy things that Jesus is doing uh, with, with joy, you know, like going back to my kids and their ice cream, like they were thrilled. I the love ice cream. So yes, too. yeah, most definitely. The, they were thrilled the first night when they got ice cream for dinner, yeah. but they were way more thrilled the second night when it happened again, because they just didn't, it was such a surprise. Yeah. And like, I want us to be people. I want our church to be filled with people that are just 
I mean, maybe we're surprised. Maybe, maybe we need to be surprised because we can't even fathom what God is doing. But I want, us, I want us to experience what God is doing and be willing to say, wow, this is so cool that I get to be a part of this. I think that's the heart of God for our church, that he's, he's invited us into this mission that he's on. And there's plenty of things that he's doing, and we just have to be attentive to what that is. The disciples get the privilege of serving those that Jesus has compassion on. And so the question I think for us is like, well, who are those people? Who are the people that Jesus has compassion on in our city that if we're paying attention, we can be part of his um, just material compassion too? Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said again as far as perspective praying to be led by the Holy Spirit to be attentive to those types of situations. I think it's hard sometimes because we get into our regular routines to really see the world as it is through the eyes of Jesus and see the brokenness that is around us and look for those opportunities to be impactful. Well, luckily, we have all been confined to our houses and our routines have been blown up, and so we have plenty of time to think through uh, how Jesus is working in our city. As we wrap up, this is, like, there's not much happening in this story. Like, if you put the feeding the 5,000 and the feeding the 4,000 right next to each other, like, even, like, a lot of the sentence structure is the same. And I think Matthew's doing that deliberately. To, to kind of highlight how badly they missed it. And you got to remember, Matthew's, Matthew's there. Like, he's, 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 yeah. he's missing it too. And so he's telling the story of his own ignorance that God would be so gracious, God would be so loving and caring to have compassion on these people that I just couldn't even imagine that he even thought of. Because I don't think of them. You know, they, 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 wouldn't, they wouldn't have given second thought to this whole uh, category of people. And I think that's, that's what we're supposed to walk away from this story meditating on is, is just this, what is, the, what is the whole in my mind surrounding the kind of people that Jesus cares about? Like what, what's the thing, and that's a hard question to answer because it's, it, it's something that I don't even see. It's, it's not a question of like, you know, who are the people that you like actively hate? Because <laughs> that's not, that's not what, because if you actively hate people, you're constantly thinking about them, right? It's, it's people that you just, you don't spend any time considering. And who are those people in your life? Who are those people in your larger sphere of influence? Who are those people in our city that you don't even know exists? And how can, uh, the grace and the love of Christ be poured out on them through his people. Well, I think that's all we have for this morning. Um, We are going to um, transition to uh, a little bit more music and uh, just uh, want to say um, once again, we miss all of you. We miss gathering together in this space. I miss hearing all of your voices sing Um, And we're just looking forward to um, this um, pandemic being over soon. 
uh, and all of us um, emerging from this isolation safe and healthy. Um, so uh, just God bless all of you and we'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.